0: Week 54 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. And the last week of Season 1. Season 2 starts next week. I got a big show. There's a lot to talk about. I'm still bewildered by the President's daily therapy sessions. And I'll try not to talk all about that today. So let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I, as citizens, have the obligation to shape the debates of our time. Not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for
1: honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And
0: we are as a people,
1: not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed
0: to secret society. Ours is a nation of secret the battle, oath. not the bullet and a secret pursuit. As a people,
1: we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizen live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth.
0: I mean, I'm not going to rant about the president's daily rants anymore. At least not today. I'm sure I'll get back to it because you can't avoid it, right? I mean, just accept responsibility and see what you can do to solve the problem, Mr. President. All of this vitriol towards the press, towards governors, towards people who criticize the timing of your remarks on when to close this country or not. Look. I, for one, think uh, this election is going to be about one thing and one thing only, and that's where the country is in November and how it feels about the state of the economy. Do people feel safe to go back to work? Do they feel the country's moving in the right direction towards resolving all the issues that this coronavirus has caused us, not just the health issues, but the economy? I mean, there are going to be millions of people out of work. And there are going to be millions of people without health insurance during a health crisis. I think we're going to have to rethink healthcare in this country. I, I think that by November, Donald Trump will be calling for national healthcare, single payer healthcare. No, no joke. I mean that might be a crazy thing to say, but if we have twenty five percent unemployment over the summer and people don't have enough money to you know, pay any of their bills? How are they going to get Cobra or any kind of health insurance? And you compound that by the fact that we're in the middle of this health crisis. What's the solution for that? I mean, if people aren't employed, they can't have employer-based health insurance. If people don't have money, they can't afford private health insurance. There's only one entity that can provide them with health care, and that's the government. So there's going to have, something's going to have to give, I think. I Look, I, I have never been a Medicare for all kind of guy, but I think I'm coming around on it. And I think that this is really, look, that's not true. I have been a single payer guy. I haven't liked it as the only option. I like their, look, I was of the school of thought that let's get past what we can get past. And a public option was something that seems doable. Well, now we're in a situation where what can get passed might be different because we're going to have so many people across this country that are going to be in so much need in blue states and in red states. And I think the opportunity is ripe for it. And quite frankly, I think it might be the only solution to solving health care in this country right now. We're going to be in the middle of a crisis. People are not going to have health insurance. I mean, if you look around the world, we're the only industrialized country where people are losing health care coverage during this crisis. In fact, I saw a statistic. 3.5 million Americans lost their health insurance this month. 3.5 million. I think it's probably higher than that. I think that that statistic is is wrong. So what do we tell those people? Good luck. Uh, I know there's a deadly virus out there, but good luck. Yeah, I don't think that that's going to fly. I think that, look, I, like I said, I think the election's about one thing and one thing only, where we are. If Trump continues on the course he's on, just berating governors and not taking responsibility and doing these two-hour-long press conferences, which, by the way, have bumped me from my 7 o'clock hit on Fox News for the last two weeks, three weeks now. Um, You know, look, if he keeps that up, he's not going to win. There's nothing he could do about it. There's no amount of negative ads. There's no amount of spin. The American people are going to realize that they're unemployed, that the economy's collapsing. And this guy's concerned about raising the price of gas. So I wonder, I don't really think that he has a chance unless things dramatically change. I think that he will lose states we're not even thinking about right now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost South Carolina. I, I really wouldn't be surprised if he lost Texas. In fact, I think it's likely he loses Texas right now, the way things are going. So, you know, he's got to do some thinking. He's got to make some changes. And quite frankly, if he's really concerned about his legacy, what he would do right now is say he's not even running. He would say, I'm going to focus my efforts on this crisis. I bet you the tone in the press changes dramatically after that. Because look, you are responsible. When you're the leader, you're responsible. He tweeted about it years ago. It's on my Twitter feed at Christopher Hahn. Uh, back in 2013, when you're the leader, you're responsible. Even when you're not responsible, it's your job to get things done. And yeah, I don't blame him for the economy. I don't blame him for the coronavirus. I do blame him for the response. And like it or not, when you're the president of the United States, the American people hold you responsible. They hold you accountable. And that's what they should do. So the election, you know, I've been getting a lot of calls. You know, what do you think about the election? What do you think about Obama's endorsement? I was on Channel 5 in New York yesterday uh, talking about it. And I say the same thing. Same thing I said to Carl Rove three weeks ago when I said it to you on this program. It's about one thing. Where are we in November with regard to this crisis? If we're a double-digit unemployment and there's all sorts of pain going on, he's not getting reelected. He's going to lose in a rump. If things are going well, and and my liberal friends hate it when I say this, if somehow he turns things around and we're under 10% unemployment and the economy looks like it's moving in the right direction and the cases are under control and we've got a testing plan and people feel comfortable, he'll win in a walk. So, you know, those are the options here. And, and and there's not a whole lot the campaigns can do about it. I mean, look, I think Joe Biden's messaging the last week or so has been phenomenal. Uh, I, he, I I've posted two ads on my Twitter account that his campaign has uh, put out that I think are spectacular. I mean, they, they're they're really brutal towards Donald Trump, and I think that's the way it's going to have to be. But there won't be any ability for Donald Trump to spin this. The American people will know. I mean, I look, I live in New York. So I every time I open up Facebook, I am saying, I'm sorry for your loss to somebody. And it's, it's hard here in New York. And I, I think it's hard in other parts of the country, probably not as hard as it is in New York. And I, I pray it doesn't get that way. But when I see like Georgia deciding that they're going to open up barbershops and bowling alleys this weekend and Tennessee doing the same thing, Tennessee is a real bar culture state. I went to Memphis last year. I had not Memphis. I went to Nashville. I thought I was going to Memphis. And my agent's like, no, you're going to Nashville. <laughs> so like, I said, uh, oh, I can't wait to go to Graceland while we're there. And he's like, yeah, you're going to Nashville. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to get hot chicken. Great state, great people, party place. You're going to open up restaurants and bars in Tennessee now? I mean, you got Nashville's a pretty big city. Memphis is a pretty big city. Knoxville's a pretty big city. I mean, they're not New York City size, but they're big cities with a lot of people on top of each other. And I hope to God this virus doesn't spread there. But I am really concerned it might. Okay. So, you know, it, it might spread in a way it spread out here on Long Island, for example, where I live outside of New York City. You know, we have more cases in Nassau and Suffolk County than most states. We'd, I think we'd be third in the nation if we were a state. And, you know, Long Island's not a city. People are not on top of each other here, generally speaking. So Nashville and, and and Tennessee and, you know, Georgia, I mean, Atlanta's a big city. Atlanta's a lot like New York City. I mean, it's big. It's not, you know, not as populous, but it's a big city with a lot of people on top of each other. Be careful down there. I mean, if you're listening to me, and I get a lot of listeners from around the country, in different parts of the country, you're listening to me in those cities, be careful. This is serious. I mean, these governors in these MAGA states like Georgia— or these MAGA governors, because I don't think Georgia's really a MAGA state. I think that we've got to do everything we can to make people vote there or get out to vote or be able to vote and not be disenfranchised. But Governor Kemp, I mean, look, you're not taking this serious. And if there's an outbreak, it's not going to be good for the president. How is the president getting reelected if he loses Georgia, which he could. So keep up the work there, Governor Kemp. And I'm not saying good work, on purpose because it's bad work, and, and you know I'm I'm watching these rallies around the country, these Trump rallies on the steps of state houses, particularly in states where there are Democrats in the in the governor's mansion, like Michigan and Pennsylvania. But of course, it's happened in Maryland. It's happened in Ohio, where they have Republican governors. These people are ridiculous. They're not social distancing. They are taking their lives in their hands, and a lot of them don't look like they're healthy to begin with. I I think that there's a way to solve this. I have sent letters to all the governors via email. Um, just hire a couple actors to go into the crowd and start coughing. Those crowds will disperse instantly. <laughs> and I, you know, somebody accused me of wanting people to dead. I don't want people dead. I want them to live. I, as much as I despise their politics going out there waving the Trump flag when these governors are following the guidelines that the Trump administration's own CDC and White House Coronavirus Task Force have put out. These closures are in place and they are in compliance with the president's own orders. And the president is doing nothing to back this off. But, you know, I want these people to live. So get a couple people coughing in the crowd. Let's see who sticks around. Let's see who sticks around when that happens. Hire some actors. I don't want anybody to die. Get the actors to have masks on, but have them take the mask off for a second and go off. Everybody will, everybody will run for the hills. They'll head for Z Hills. But, you know, this also speaks to the president's leadership, right? We have a situation in America where people are getting sick because they come into contact with people who don't even know they have the coronavirus. And these foolish people, who are going out there, you know, they're probably watching One America News as their only source of news, and they are going out there, and they are rallying, and they're waving the Trump banner, and they're saying that these Democratic governors are trying to take away our rights. They have no blame for the president. When the president's asked about it, does he say, people, look, I respect your right to protest. You're allowed to say that, and I respect their right to protest. But now is not the time. I don't recommend you protest. Because these are serious measures and your governor's doing the best they can to keep you safe. So these protests are not helping. In fact, these protests, if they backfire and people wind up getting coronavirus and it winds up spreading it more, will keep the state's locked down even further based on the guidelines that the White House and the CDC have prepared for the United States of America keep that in mind when you're out there you know when you're talking to your maga hat wearing relatives and we all have them i know i do you know remind them that the guy like these lockdowns are being put in place these shelter in place orders these stay at home orders whatever you want to call them they're being they've been put in place by the governor governor of these states and the white house did put out guidelines and and they're you know they're not take it or leave it guidelines but they're guidelines And from what I've seen in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Maryland and Ohio, they haven't reached a point where they should start reopening based on those guidelines. The numbers are still going up. The cases are still going up. So why the president of the United States, who has not yet put a real testing system in place for this country, doesn't think it's important for him to go out there and quell those... Quote protesters, tamp them down. Instead, he tweets out, "Liberate Virginia, liberate Michigan. Are you kidding me? Liberate Minnesota. I mean, it's it's not helping. It's, it's throwing gasoline on a fire. And he knows it. He knows it. I I I am done grading him on a curve, America." I am done and I think America's done grading him on a curve. If you look at that Wall Street Journal poll, only 36% of Americans think he's doing doing well during this coronavirus epidemic. They don't trust him. I think that's the floor, right? I think that's like 36% right now. Maybe it could go down to 33. I think his floor is like around 33. But 36% now is pretty bad. Right. He's losing to Joe Biden 49 42 in that poll. And it's early. Like I said, you know, he wants to rush to get the economy open. But here's the thing, Mr. President. The economy like, it's not going to start up like your lawnmower, where you just pull the crank and it goes. I mean, if your lawnmower works. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to get going. And When people emerge from their stay-at-home orders and they start looking around and they notice that their favorite stores are closed, their favorite restaurants are closed, and they don't have a job, and they don't have health insurance, and their kid's school doesn't have uh, sports anymore because nobody could pay their taxes to keep the schools open, and maybe the full-day kindergarten has become half-day kindergarten, or maybe they've got to combine school districts because they just can't make ends meet, and roads can't get paved, and, and things are just generally bad in this country. That 42 percent is going to go down to 33 percent pretty quick. You better and, and let me tell you something. if we emerge too soon and it comes back with a vengeance, say in September, how's that going to look for re-election for you? How's that going to work out? It's not going to work out. And you know, the election's going to happen. And people are going to vote you out, whether they are afraid to go out to the polls or not. And let me, let me be very crystal clear to you, Mr. President, who opposes mail-in, vote-by-mail ballots. It's in your best interest to have vote-by-mail act at ballots. And if you don't realize that from what happened in Wisconsin two weeks ago in that disgusting election that your party made happen because they thought they could steal a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which they wound up losing by 10 points. You know why they lost by 10 points? Because most of your voters are over the age of 60. People most likely to vote for Republicans are over the age of 60. And they weren't coming out. They didn't show up in Wisconsin. And they're probably not showing up in November. So you better find a way for them to vote. So yeah. Vote by mail or die Republicans. It's your choice. And I'm not saying die as from the coronavirus. I guess maybe I should have chose my analogy a little better there. Uh I'm saying that your party is going to die. I think you're going to I think the party is going to die anyway. I think Republican party's over. Uh, I don't think it even really exists right now. I think it's the Trump party. Uh we're seeing signs that the McCain family is going to endorse Joe Biden, including Meghan McCain who has been You know, a major battler on The View and somebody who I've met and I've known over the years and find her very uh, interesting. But Cindy McCain, the widow of the late John McCain, has announced that the family will be endorsing Joe Biden. I think that's the first of many well-known Republican families. I would not be surprised if the Bush family does the same thing, and they should, including the former president. This guy's got to be stopped. He's not a leader. He's not a leader. He doesn't understand what it means to lead. All right, I got a great guest coming up with for you uh, in a minute. Josh Miller is the doctor in charge of one of the most active testing sites for coronavirus in the United States at Stony Brook University. Out on Long Island, and he's going to tell us all about what it took to put that site together, and working with the Army Corps of Engineers and the National Guard and the state. And the it's a interesting process, and you definitely want to hear that. But before I get there, I got to remind you about Warby Parker. I mean, we're all home right now, and if you need glasses, where are you going to go? Go to WarbyParkerTrial.com/han. You can try five pairs for five days with no obligation, and then if you want to buy them, they're ninety-five bucks a pair. That includes prescriptions and for every pair you buy they will donate a pair to someone in need and god knows there are 30 million people who lost their job this month that are in need so if you're going to buy glasses buy glasses from a company that's going to take care of some of those people by giving them a pair of prescription glasses that they will need to get ahead in this world go to warbyparkertrial.com slash han you try them on at home for five days No strings attached. You don't like them, put them in the envelope they give you. You send them right back. WarbyParkerTrial.com slash con. All right. I'll be right back with Dr. Josh Miller. Stay with you. I I think the issue that we're all wondering about is testing and how testing gets done and uh, why are we still in this situation where we need more tests. But a man who has some of those answers because he's been leading – one of the most active testing sites in the nation, right out in Suffolk County at Stony Brook University. Dr. Josh Miller is here with me today. Dr. Miller, how are you?
1: Chris, I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, sir. And I really want to first off by saying thank you. I know you're doing God's work out there, uh, testing people, and it must be a very difficult time for you and your family. Uh, How are you coping with all this? I mean, I know you know. Before I get into the technicalities of it, I I know I'm really interested in to know how first responders like yourself who are out there on the front lines are dealing with what they're seeing every day.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think most of us are anxious most of us are stressed um but most of us i would say all of us are doing it because it's what we do it's what we train for and being in healthcare, being a first responder uh, we show up and we take care of patients and do right by our patients because um because it's what we do uh, and i'd be lying if i said it didn't induce a little bit more anxiety at home and yep. some challenges for the family but uh um, every one of us is rising to the occasion and doing things to help the community uh, amidst these times.
0: Well, I know the community is appreciative of the work you're doing. So, tell me about this. So, this uh, this um, testing site basically sprung up overnight. Uh, you and I are both from this community. Uh, I my, our, my daughter plays soccer there. I grew up here. You grew up here. Uh, we remember the, the South P-lot of Stony University campus being a fun place, carnivals, soccer games, etc. But now it's this you know, really looks like a war zone or a scene from a, a, a dystopian future. Uh, can you tell us how it sprung up and, and, and the process of getting it put together?
1: Well, I'd be lying if I said that's the first time I've heard the word dystopian over the last month, especially with regards to the PILOT site. Yeah. But, um, Governor Cuomo and the New York State Department of Health was very eager to set up testing sites around the state, and in partnership with Stony Brook University, uh, we um, joined with them to operate the PLOT site, uh, with the ultimate goal of identifying people in the community with COVID-19 and helping to track the virus and helping to protect people um, and those at risk. Um, the site is uh, is a little bit different now than it was uh, yeah. even even just months ago. We've been operating for the last month. Um, It is uh, uh, absolutely a collaborative effort with the Department of Health, the governor's office, the DEC, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the uh, National Guard in New York State, a a plethora of of organizations all uh, working in concert to get things up and running literally uh, within a matter of two to three days. And we are now operating um, to the tune of nearly 1,000 individuals a day driving through to the site to get tested. Wow. And uh, in just about a month's time, we've managed to screen uh, over 18,000 individuals wow. for, for covid Are
0: you operating seven days a week?
1: So we operate seven days a week, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, the testing is by appointment only, so yep. individuals can call the New York State hotline to get information. And if they need to be screened, they can uh, they can schedule an appointment that way.
0: And and this testing is not the rapid test. It takes some time to get the results back, I, I understand. Why does it take so much time to get the results back?
1: I, I think uh, there are a number of answers to that question, and, and I know that everyone is frustrated. They want the results as fast as we possibly can. Um the results are handled by a commercial laboratory. They do take a few days to come back. I think to be perfectly honest, um people want to be sure that the results are accurate. Yeah. So uh providing accurate results, especially when you're ruling someone out for the disease, telling someone that they don't have COVID nineteen yeah. is really paramount. So as they develop these testing assays uh, in record time, the turnaround time does does take a bit, and it's frustrating. And people waiting at home uh, to get the results, it can be a challenge. But um, we've we've been able to identify cases uh, in a good way, and we're able to help people understand what they need to do to stay home and stay safe.
0: Now, have you been running into situations where people are just showing up unannounced for these for these tests?
1: We have. Uh, We have a number of people uh, every day, more so in the beginning of the month than now, um, who show up uh, for walk-in appointments. We don't have them, but we provide them with information about the hotline and about the website and where they can get more information also to talk with their doctor um, about whether they do need to be tested. Chris, I would say the biggest message that we had to help get out there in the earlier weeks was who the right people uh, were to be tested right and right now the criteria to be tested are individuals who may god forbid have symptoms of the virus fever chills, right. difficulty breathing and the like if you're asymptomatic if you don't have any symptoms of the virus the cdc has not said that you should be
0: tested so do you think that that's going to stick i mean if we're going to open up the country from what we're hearing companies These want assurances that people that are are not symptomatic, walking around maybe with the virus, don't have the virus and from, you know, obviously, there's a shortage of tests, we can't test everybody right now. But, uh, but clearly, this can't continue like this, if we're going to ever open up the nation, right? I mean,
1: I agree. And you're not the first person to ask that question to me of late. In fact, in the, over the recent holiday, family was having this conversation around our Zoom dinner uh, about uh, what, as a healthcare care provider, I think is an appropriate time, when is an appropriate time to, to, to go back to normal life and start opening the country back up. Right. The challenge with coronavirus, as you've heard, is that you can be asymptomatic and be infectious. You can spread the virus and not know that you have it. So identifying people who have it who have been in contact with those who have had it is really paramount for uh, keeping people safe and making sure that we know where individuals are that may have coronavirus. I agree with you that we need to continue to evaluate our testing strategy as we start turning the country back on and giving guidance to people as we tell them it's safe to return to their daily lives, but until we get past this surge and uh, flatten the curve, as I think we're successful, God willing, in doing, yep. um, identifying individuals with the virus is still going to be a big part of what we do in healthcare.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you think that this uh, testing site will remain on campus for at least a year? I would think, right? I mean, I, I mean, it, it, I can't see us pulling it down.
1: I, you know, I, I think the testing sites themselves may change uh, sooner rather than later, but we don't know. We're giving that given that directive from the governor's office. I think ultimately the way in which the public health establishment tests individuals in the community will likely change and evolve in the coming weeks and months um, in terms of commercial lab availability for the test, the type of tests we do, um, as you mentioned, the turnaround in the test that we provide, and will we be able to improve access to the tests that take uh, a shorter amount of time for the results to come back. So I think the mission to test the public and certainly those individuals who are symptomatic will still remain for many, many, many months. The way in which we do that testing may change and evolve over time.
0: Right. Has there been any evolution in the way you test so far? I mean, you've been there now for a month. Has there been some changes?
1: So one of the things we've been we're very proud of at the Stony Brook site is we're able to address the unique needs of our community. And while there's certainly national guidance from the CDC and from the New York State Department of Health, um, in partnership with the state, we're able to address the needs of first responders in Suffolk County. um, uh, In our role at Stony Brook University uh, through Medical Control and Suffolk County EMS, and we're also able to address the testing needs for our health responders and healthcare workers. Uh, In the health system. So, nurses and doctors that, God forbid, may be symptomatic, um, they're vetted by our medical team. And if they need to be tested, they can come over and get tested as well.
0: That's great. But there's been no, like, change in the style of test. You're still using that up the nose, down the throat kind of uh, swab.
1: Variations on a theme. Uh, At at first, it was a nasopharyngeal swab, which is. uh, the uncomfortable swab that goes all the way back in the nasal passageway, and now it's a nasal swab and an oropharyngeal swab. Either way, it's not a very comfortable experience, as you can imagine, but uh, everyone going through the site is able to do it. It's really quick. They drive up. uh, The individual rolls their window down very quickly. They get swabbed. They roll their window up, and then they drive away. So um, people have been doing okay with it, thank God.
0: That's good. All right, Doc, I got a few seconds left in this segment, and we're going to come back with more with Dr. Miller after a short break. But one... Quick question. Have anybody on your team come down with the virus as a result of this? So uh,
1: we have had some members of the team on site be uh, people under investigation, individuals with symptoms that um, have needed to be tested. Um, Thankfully, uh, most of them have come back negative. Um, We're tracking contact. We're very safe on site. Uh, when people show up, they have their fevers checked. They're uh, questioned about whether, God forbid, they have any symptoms. We make sure that everyone site, on site wears a mask and that they're healthy and not uh, within six feet distance with, uh, with more than ten people in a
0: room. Good so. stuff. Tell me how the people coming to the facility have been acting. Have, have you seen a lot of fear? Have people been orderly? What's your? Do you have any stories?
1: Of course, it's tough. That part of the experience, I think, has been the most challenging, being on site from day one. People are driving through. Their windows uh, have to remain up. There are uh, Army personnel and National Guard on site and police and other folks wearing full protective gear and PPE, gowns and masks. So it's very otherworldly. I have a number of images of my head uh, amidst this pandemic that I'll never forget. And the first that popped in was on day one of operating the site, um, an individual was driving through. With his window rolled up, and he had a sign that he had uh, he had made on a napkin with a marker, and he said, "God bless you," and he was yeah. holding it up in the window, and and I think everyone saw that. It really uh, it, it it really touched a chord. Um, we see children in cars uh, needing to get tested, um, testing down to younger than two years of age, and that's always very difficult. Yeah. So, I think that whole experience is something that none of us has ever been uh, uh, involved in or participated in, but certainly images that will stick with us for many, many, many years to come.
0: You know, this is like this is new for you. Is this your area of expertise as a doctor?
1: Chris, it's not. I'm actually. I'm a diabetes doctor. I'm a health system administrator, and I have a public health background. So I work with large populations of patients for Stony Brook Medicine and the community. And ultimately, one of the reasons I I think I was called on to help participate in this endeavor with the state and with the university proper is um, because I have experience in managing larger groups of individuals and healthcare administration. But in healthcare now every one of us on the front lines is doing something now that we were not doing up until a month ago uh, to help respond to the
0: pandemic. So antibody testing has been a big uh, focus of conversation. Uh, people who have had it, uh, maybe having some ability to withstand it. We're hearing various things on this right now. Uh, could you give me your best guess on when we're going to see widespread antibody testing that can really help us get back to normal?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. You know, the antibody testing is going to be paramount in how we address the pandemic, because if you can screen someone for antibodies, you can give them information about whether they've been exposed to the virus and whether perhaps they may be immune from getting it again. Right. Um, and then confirming antibody testing, uh, antibody antibody uh, uh, positivity allows us to determine that herd immunity concept where yep. we can keep the general community healthy. Um, A number of sites worldwide are working on antibody studies. In fact, Stony Brook University has one ongoing right now, uh, looking at the antibodies of individuals that may have had COVID-19 and ways in which um, we can study those individuals to treat people who currently have the virus. I think over the next few months, we're going to see an increase in accuracy of those tests, as well as a wider commercial availability. So that You know, God willing, I can go to my doctor's office in three months and get uh, a finger stick, give some blood, and find out within a few minutes whether I've had the virus or been exposed or if I'm im immune. That's a a huge uh, public health need um, that will allow us to turn the country back on and to open up our doors again because people who know that they're antibody positive uh, may be able to uh, uh, be advised to go out and start working and go back to school and
0: whatnot. It is amazing how people like you who are not... Uh, This is not your expertise, but you've 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 put this together so competently. Uh, And I I, I've talked to Allison Rowe, who's one of the chief nurses over at uh, Stony Brook University a couple weeks ago. I know she was involved in helping set that center up and setting up the new hospitals on campus that they're building, uh, basically where the baseball fields are uh, on Stony Brook University campus. And um, it's amazing to me that there are people like you in this world that, that can help get us through this. And I really do appreciate everything you do. I know that my listeners do as well. I I, I didn't think I'd still be talking about COVID-19 uh, at this far into it. I thought by now I would have switched right back to politics and maybe the politics of COVID-19. But I find the work that you're doing and people like you so fascinating and so important that I just need to, to keep talking to, to, to good people like you. And I really do appreciate you sharing these stories. What would you tell you know, America that's listening tonight uh, to do in this situation? What what should people be doing?
1: I'll give, uh, I would give Americans the same guidance I've been giving my family and friends when they call me for advice, which is for as challenging and difficult as it is to stay home and to shelter in place, I will say that we firmly believe that that act alone is saving lives. Mm. And so for as difficult and painful as it may be to stay home and for, unfortunately, the terrible impact that will have on the economy, is having on the economy, and will have the economy on the economy for years to come, that act alone is saving lives. And we see it every day when we go over the numbers of individuals in our hospital and elsewhere who have COVID-19 and have this virus and are, and are struggling and holding on for dear life. So that message is clear. And for as difficult as it is for my 70-year-old parents to stay home and yeah. not shop and not be out with their friends, they are saving lives by staying home and they're protecting themselves. Saving That's their the own message.
0: lives for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it definitely is harder. my father had it and got over it. Thank oh, God. God. Bless him. God uh, bless him. And, bless and it's, it's, uh, this is a, uh, it's a trying time for everybody. How are your family, you know, you're working so hard right now. And every doctor and nurse I talk to, they're working so hard. I, I live in a community of doctors, obviously. And I, 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 people who I'm used to running into while out on walks or runs, I haven't seen in a while. Um, how how are you and your family holding up through this?
1: It's a new normal. Uh, I am blessed with an amazing family and a saint of a wife who also is in healthcare. She helps to run the children's hospital on campus. And oh so boy. like Allison Rowe and her husband, Colby, we are a healthcare family and we just make it work. And our kids are amazing and we support each other. And we know that it's what we have to do right now for the people that we work with and the community that we work for.
0: Do you see any... I mean, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel, Doc? I mean, that's the question everybody asks me every day. Uh, I get, I get the "Where do you think it came from?" and "Do you see it ending?" question all the time. Like, I have extra information. <laughs> do, you, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel?
1: I, I do. I see a light at the tunnel tunnel, and for, and for two reasons. One, what you just mentioned. Um, the people that are involved in this fight. And not just in healthcare, but the postman and the food delivery guy and the folks who stock the grocery store. I really do believe the hashtag in this together. And yeah. I think that because of that American spirit and because of that collegiality in that community, we are going to see this through. The second piece of it is that I, I, I do firmly believe um, that we are near turning. Uh, turning the corner in New York state and in the Northeast and God willing, the numbers will continue yeah. to show that um, we are flattening the curve and that we can get to the other end of this curve and, uh, and come up with next steps Doc. For, for getting
0: people back. Doc, I'm out of time, but quickly, where can people help if they want to help?
1: Um, I Honestly, uh, call, Your friends in healthcare on the front line and wish them well and tell them you're thinking of them. I think that messaging alone is so meaningful. All right, Dr.
0: Josh Miller, Stony Brook University. If he wasn't so needed on the front lines of this epidemic, I'd say he should get a radio show. He's got a fantastic voice. He's great. We're lucky we have him out here in New York. Stay where you are. I'll be right back. I mean, the contrast between people like Dr. Miller and I had uh, Allison Rowe, who's the head nurse. at Stony Brook University's emergency room and I've had other first responders on my other shows and I mean the difference between them putting themselves on the line, accepting responsibility, trying to make people's lives better and save people's lives and help people and heal, meanwhile juggling, you know, their home lives and concerns about the safety of their family in this environment. And then you juxtapose that with the actions of this president, and I wonder how he's even getting any support at all anymore in this country. It just, I it, it makes me sad that there are so many short-sighted people in this country who just believe whatever trope they're told by whoever they believe shares their values, and I I'm telling you right now that. More often than not, these people do not share their values. The Rush Limbaugh's of the world, the Mark Levin's of the world, the Sean Hannity's of the world, you know, multimillionaire, maybe in Russia's case, a billionaire, you know, entertainment people who, you know, average everyday Americans think have their best interest at heart. And meanwhile, people like Dr. Miller, who really do have their best interest at heart, who are telling them to stay home, who are telling them to help the people on the front lines, they ignore them. And they go protest in front of the state capitol. You should be ashamed of yourself if you're in the media right now. And you're encouraging those protests. I don't care if you never have me back on your shows. Because I've said it. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's nonsense. I believe, like everybody else, in the right for people to protest. But I believe it's the responsibility of people in a position of power to share the right opinions. This is not about politics right now. The only politics that's going to matter. Is where we are in November. And opening the country up early. Is going to make it worse in November Mr. President. And all of his sycophants. In the conservative media. Go ahead. Open it up. You're only going to kill more people. And and you know. I, I I'm, I'm telling you. Georgia, your governor's going to open up, you know, I know that, you know, the corporations down there and the companies down there, especially the big ones are not going to pay attention to the governor's order. They're going to still have people work from home. Problem is people are going to go bowling. People are going to go to the beach. People are going to try to find a way if they're working in the gig economy to make a living as they should. If everybody else is doing it, people are going to get sick and it's not good. It's not fun. It's not right. You have a responsibility, Governor Kemp. You have a responsibility if you're in the media and you have a big microphone and you're encouraging people to protest because what? Because we can't have MAGA rallies? No place to go and yell about how much you love Trump with other people who love Trump? Give me a break. I've... I've talked to too many heroes the last couple of weeks on my radio show, on my other radio show, on my podcast, on television, and just in regular life. I live in a community that's got a lot of people that work at a hospital. And these people are sacrificing so much to try to get this under control. And they really do deserve the support of every American. And I get it. There are going to be people out there that aren't going to listen. But the people who know better, and believe me, a lot of the people out there, including the governor of Georgia, know better. They know better. But they're doing it for politics. And right now, the best politics is no politics. The most popular governor in this country right now is Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo. And Andrew Cuomo refuses to talk about politics with anybody. Will he fight with Trump? Of course. Will he praise Trump sometimes? Yes. The best politics is no politics. And yeah, so if that means that Karl Rove and I can't debate on Monday nights, so be it. There'll be time for that another time. I've been debating the guy for 10 years. It's fine. I could wait another week. My hair is still going to look good. In this environment, <laughs> I don't need to go to the barber. I got some clippers in my house, and I've been doing it myself. All right, let me just tell you some show news. Next week, we premiere season two of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I've got a big guest, Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci, uh, former communications director for Donald Trump, now one of his biggest critics, and him and I share a lot in common. Look, uh, probably worse for him than me, right? I'm a progressive that goes on conservative media and... He's a guy they used to love and now they hate. So I'm interested to have that conversation with him as a fellow traveler in conservative circles, frankly, uh, who, I mean, look, I mean, people are usually generally nice to me. I'm wondering how they are to him, but season two premieres next week. Please subscribe. If you're not subscribing and please tell a friend and tweet about it, put it out there. Uh, We're trying to grow this community and it's doing really well. And, um, I expect next week to do really well. We've got some good placement for the pod. So um, make sure you check out my pod next week when I have a special guest, um, Anthony Scaramucci. Damooch, da Mooch! What a name, the Mooch. <laughs> I kind of like it. I kind of like it. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I've met him once or twice before, long before. Uh, this started. So it'd be interesting uh, to have this conversation with them. looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be a good interview. So stick around for that next week. And if you downloaded this a week late, uh, download that one right now. That's how podcasts work. It's amazing. All right. Thanks again for your support, America. I hope you're being safe. I hope you're healthy. I hope you have everything you need. And I want to, before I remind you to seek the truth, I want to let you know that I'm an optimist. Things will get better. We will get through this. I know it's going to be hard for a while. I don't think that this is a couple of months to recovery. I think it's probably a year, two years maybe, Um, at least as far as the economy goes and until we get to a place where we have a vaccine or treatment. But that doesn't mean I am despairing. I I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities here for all of us. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity to change this country for the better. And I hope we take those opportunities. And we seize on them. And we don't go to the darkest corners of our beliefs and act out on those. Think positive, America. And always seek the truth. So let me remind you. To always seek the truth Question everybody And everything America Even me Seek the truth I know it's out there And I know You will find it If you look for it And I'll be back here again Next week To tell you the truth As I see it I'm Chris Hahn Thanks for listening To the Aggressive Progressive Podcast